playing online and on smart devices. Now on London Scotty Radio, it's podcast time. I'm George Matlock. MOT, the health and well-being show from London Scotty Club. Please welcome back Jackie Ash from Ashgate Grooming and Kennels in Fivehead, Somerset. But before we talk about the health of Scotties, let's start with you, Jackie. How are you feeling? Any better? Yes, I'm a lot better, thank you very much. I'm fully recovered from my COVID. Okay, fantastic news. So pleased to hear you're uh, you're okay and back in circulation. Um, so we're now going to turn to Scotty MOT. We've got a couple of questions, or one, one that actually is, is, is a, a growing topic of interest in the canine world. So this doesn't just affect Scottish Terriers. This could be any breed of dog, really. Um, and then, uh, but, and, and we've also got the results of the survey that was carried out about grooming. What kind of groom do Scotty owners go for? Um, and as well as some findings on our Scotty MOT podcast, but all of that coming up a little bit later. In the Good Traditions of Radio, we'll start with uh, that big topic first, which is about Alabama rot. Now, many of you might think that this is something straight out of the, the south of the United States with a name like that, uh, but vets are actually urging us all in the UK to be vigilant. And they're saying don't panic, but they have confirmed that there have been two more uh, cases of deadly Alabama rot in the UK recently. The fatal flesh-eating virus has killed one dog a week in 2019 and has now killed five dogs in the UK since the start of this year. Experts at Anderson Moore's veterinary specialists in Winchester have released new data which show that the latest two canine cases occurred in Bristol and Kingston in Devon. The Animal Hospital has been leading research into Alabama rot since 2012 and it's collating information on all confirmed cases and reports across the country. Now, their experts are saying that, understandably, everyone is very worried about this, but they stress that this is a very rare disease. Um, but they are saying that we need to be vigilant, and uh, that means that uh, we should seek advice from local vets if their dogs develop unexplained skin lesions. Now, Alabama rot has a 90% mortality rate and puppies with the disease can develop painful sores and kidney damage, but no one knows the cause and the signs are often difficult to pick out. Now that's according to a report in the Daily Mirror where we found that particular story, uh, but it's not the only paper that's been reporting of course on this particular uh, case. So Alabama rot, first of all Jackie, have you heard of it? Yes, yes, we've heard of it and um, it's certainly something which we do watch out for. Right, okay, and um, how do you, how, how, I mean, you're obviously vigilant because you're looking at the, the, the dog and, and you're looking at the skin and the condition of the dog as they come in. Uh, so presumably you, you've a bit of an early warning system. I mean, have you, what, what are the telltale signs? What, what are the things that you're looking for that would, would concern you if, if there was a case of Alabama rot? Um, I think the most important thing that everybody needs to look out for is any unexplained lesion skin lesion on your dogs now that would either be on their feet on the bottom half of their legs and it looks very much um, as far as I can tell it looks very much like a, an ulcer 
uh, that's building and it could be swollen and quite red. And if I think if you and that's the sort of thing that we're looking out for, um, that if when we're bathing a dog or when we're first doing the health checks, when they first come into the salon, the first thing we are always looking for is skin lesions or any sort of um, puncture wound, any sort of sores, particularly around legs and feet. Now, it seems, though, uh, from what we understand, that this virus actually enters uh, the, the dog through the pores of the dog. Um, and then and then it can spread from there. Um, whereabouts on the body would you be expected to see any kind of such contagion? Um, as I say, on the paws, lower legs. Um, you can also get it around the mouth, as far as I understand. Um, one of the things which certainly the vets are looking at is that when a dog comes back from a walk, the first thing it's going to do is to try and clean itself up. Mm. And that's a natural grooming process that all dogs carry yeah. out. And if they therefore have the toxin on their legs and feet, they are naturally going to be grooming themselves to clean up their legs and feet and then ingesting the toxin. And that's one of the, the causes of this vomiting and kidney failure that seems to follow quite quickly. Right, so it's basically the ingesting of the virus through the mouth, through the grooming, the natural grooming process that the dog's routine involves. As far as I can understand, I mean, it is a topic which the vets are not 100% clear on themselves exactly what causes it and how quickly, you know, how it trans transmits itself. Um, but that's certainly from the research that I've carried out, seems, seems to be, you know, seems to be the way, the way forward. And that's from the vets, which are, as you said in, you know, in your introduction, there is, you know, there are vets which are specialising in researching this and keeping tabs on what's going on. Now, Alabama rot, from what we understand, um, it goes back as far as the 1980s, but it only first arrived in the UK around 2012. At least that's when the first reports were, were heard about. Um, and this particular um, specialist uh, that we, we cited in that uh, report from the newspaper um, has, has been monitoring this since that time. Uh, so we've got about a decade of data already to go on. Um, but still nobody seems to be any the wiser, either here or across the pond or anywhere else, as to what's actually, where it comes from, what, where, where, where is this virus emanating from? No, you're quite right. Um, it started off in greyhounds um, in the United States, in Alabama, which is obviously mm. why it's, it's got the name it has. Um, I think it's very important that, that people know that it's, it is very isolated, it is certainly not something which is very common um, and it is seems to be that you would pick it up from countryside walks so certainly mm. anybody with dogs walking around towns or you know local parks you're very unlikely to, to pick it up it does seem to be muddy areas particularly wooded areas um, in the countryside right okay um, also I guess the um, I mean it's interesting that this this uh, situation has occurred the way that it has, as you're saying, it's more likely to be a rural thing rather than, a, than an urban thing. Um, but I guess that uh, while the research has to carry on into, you know, what what uh, what causes it, um, it can happen to any dog, right? Any dog can actually pick this up. So um, it must be of considerable concern um, right across. Um, okay, Jackie, thank you for, for talking to us about Alabama rot. Let's turn now to uh, the survey results of our 
of our uh, recent study which we did. This is a, um, a poll that we conducted last week of members of London Scotty Club um, and we asked a couple of questions. Uh, so let's start first with the question about uh, what people think about Scotty MOT and other podcasts which London Scotty Radio uh, produces. So first of all um, we're really pleased to tell you that more than half of those polled and I can tell you a third of our membership took part so a, a huge thank you to everyone who did participate. More than half of them said that they loved the, the podcasts. So 56% in fact uh, said that they, 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 they listened and they liked it. Um, apparently 32% though said they had not yet got around to listening to our podcast so hopefully this will now uh, inspire them to do so. Um, and only 5.4% said that they didn't know the podcast existed. So there you go. Um, I think that's a pat on the back. It's really not bad at all. So we're quite pleased with that. That's pretty good feedback. Um, let's turn now to the, the big crucial topic. This is one that I know uh, you suggested for um, for the, the first online poll of our membership um, for Scotty MOT. And the topic that you selected was this question, which is what type of groom does your Scotty dog have? So we asked um, a total of five options. Um, do they hand strip? Do they hand strip and bath? Do they clip? Do they clip and bath or don't they know? Well, um, you'll be amazed to know that somebody said that they didn't know. Um, so 2.7% said that they didn't know. Um, however, most people were, were pretty, pretty clear about what they have and, and a certain trend has developed here. So uh, first of all, hand stripping, which is something that I know you provide um, uh, at, your, at your kennels, um, and, and grooming service, 10.8% said that they hand strip their dogs. A further 13.5% said hand strip and bath. So that's not too bad. That brings it to around 23%, around a quarter, I guess. Uh, those who just clip, 5.4%. Those who clip and bath, a whopping 67.5%. That all adds up more or less to 100. So quite clearly, hands down, um, it is clip and bath that wins the day. What do you think about that? Oh, I'm not surprised, sadly. Um, I think it be, I said once before, I think when we were chatting, um, I think when you were actually with your dogs down here, mm -hmm. that hand stripping is a dying art. Um, it's not something which a lot of groomers will offer to their clients because it is, um, you know, it's a, it's a longer process. It's a, it's a technique that they have to learn and specialise in. And I'm, I'm really not surprised. It does sadden me, though, I have, I have to say, because the Scotties would so benefit from being handstripped. Yeah, yeah, absolutely they would. Well, um Tell us about the, the benefits. I mean, I know what they are, but for the benefit of listeners who may think, oh, isn't it cruel um, plucking uh, fur out of a dog's body? Um, what do you say to that? Well, we're not plucking. All right? we're not, they get, they're not chickens, so we're not trying to pull out <laughs> you know, all, of your, all of the dog's hair. What all we're trying to do by um, hand stripping is we're removing the dead coat that's reached the end of its growing cycle. So if you imagine a, um, a piece of hair when it first comes out of, of the skin follicle, 
you know, it's all nice and new and it's tightly in there. And as it grows and grows and grows, it's like our own hair. Eventually it falls out. Now, with the terriers, we've got two types of coats. We've got a lovely, thick, dense undercoat, which is a bit like an eiderdown. And that's going to keep us nice and um, warm in the winter, but it also is going to keep us nice and cool in the summer. And then you've got this thick, um, very um, hard coat on top of that and that's going to shelter us from all the rain and all the snow um, and also from the sun's rays so that we don't get burnt. Okay so that's what the Scotty is naturally doing with their own coat. What we do as hand stripping is that we're taking off the dead hard coat at the top and we're not touching that under layer so we're letting mm. that just do what it does quite happily. I mean, every now and again, it might get a bit thick, so we take a little bit out, but fundamentally, we are leaving it alone. Yeah. Now, when you clip a dog, what you're doing is that you are interfering with that undercoat, and you're interfering with the whole follicle process of growing hairs. So what's happening is that instead of having those lovely two layers to look after you, look after the dog, we've now created one layer so the hard coat will just die out, it'll just disappear and you'll end up with a much softer coat and it'll be very, very thick. And once, unfortunately, once the process has started, um, it's, it's not really very easy to get it back. And you were, you're into an eight week bath and, you know, bath and clip cycle, um, which personally, it's, it's fine from a, you know, from a point of view of a dog that's, say, living in you know, certain circumstances where they don't need the protection of their coat, but you are going away from naturally what is a Scottish Terrier. Right, right. So in other words, this, it's okay to clip if you live in a centrally heated house. Okay, so um, in that case, for those who are uh, reaching for their tissues and regretting that they allowed uh, their groomers to talk them into having a clip because that's what was offered. And let's face it, a lot of people don't have that choice. And you said no, it yourself. They, they, no, they simply, they you know, this is what we offer. It's take yeah. it or leave it time, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So given that, um, how many of these people, these poor people can we now, uh, and their Scotties, can we rescue? So in other words, when is when do we get to the point of no return that you can't now switch from clip to hand strip? I think you probably get away with one, possibly two clips when they're little. Mm. Once we've gone beyond that, um, it would not be kind to the dog to try and get that coat back. Right, and that that's we're talking about two clips, what separated yeah. by about eight weeks each or about something. Eight weeks, yes. Right, right. So if somebody had a, a, a clip. I don't know. Uh, in, in month one, didn't do it again for six months, and didn't do it again for six months. Would that would that help, or would that? Yes. Well, it it doesn't really make a great deal of difference on the on the length of time. Right. Um, Between looking at the coat growth, really. Right. Um, I mean, the longer you can leave it after it's been clipped, obviously, the better. You know, between hand strips, for instance, we would only really want to do a squatty three times a year, um, because we want the coat to keep growing. And I think mm. once you've started the clipping process, you've really got to watch that undercoat because, you know, the dogs will become un very uncomfortable quite quickly. I mean, just, just to put it in context, I mean, if, for instance, not particularly Scotties, because they usually have fantastic coats, mm. but one of the other terrier breeds, the Irish terrier, for instance, has, in the, we find in the salon, quite often 
has a very poor undercoach. And one of the things that we as groomers will do is a one-off clip because we will encourage the undercoat to immediately start reacting to that clipping process and mm. it will grow so that mm. when the dog comes back next time and say in four months time we should have an undercoat which we can start working on and and keep the hand stripping process going so we do use a clip from it remedial but i don't want people to sort of think that they've done something terribly wrong by clipping you haven't you know it is a personal choice um, and if you've gone down the clipping route and you've got a good groomer, you know, that is, it is fine. It is not too, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. It's just a personal choice. Good. Okay. Well, that is reassuring to know. So what you're saying is essentially, um, one, one clip, maybe two clips are okay. Three or more, you, you're really probably, t you've gone too far. So yes. kind of three, str three strikes and you're out. Yes. <laughs> it's what yes. you're saying, basically. <laughs> well, Maybe two. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and is there a difference, actually, I want to ask you this, between the different kinds of Scotties? Because, of course, we all know they come in black, they also come in Wheaton and in Brindle. Um, and I've noticed, for example, with my two dogs, one of which is a, is a, a Wheaton and the other's black, um, the quality of their coats is rather different. Uh, and yet they both more or less started hand stripping from, from the start. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Wheaton coat is far more difficult to maintain. Mm. Um, you know, the blacks are, I suppose, the easiest from the greener's point of view. Um, brindles are lovely to do. Um, the hair oh. just comes out beautifully on a brindle. But I would say the Wheatons are the ones that we need to work hardest on. Um, <laughs> oh, dear. And no, it's just because, you know, and also um, the way the coat comes, it's, it's difficult to describe, but it's, it grows in a slightly different way. And... Um, Anybody that wants to learn how to do dog grooming, come down and see us and we'll teach you all about the coat. <laughs> well, that's right, because you do you do run courses, don't you, for, yeah, for hand, people who want to do hand stripping themselves. And it doesn't have to be groomers, you know. I mean, it mm. could be someone that, you know, really would like to learn to do, to do this themselves. But, mm. you know, the one thing I would say is, just from what's happened this week, actually, we've had a, a, a young Scotty that's come in and they have been told don't do anything with that Scotty until it was about four or five months old. Um, please don't leave it that long. You know, we need to see those puppies in the salon when they've had those vaccinations. You know, they need to understand about their heads being clipped. They need to understand about the noise of the scissors. And they need to understand about sitting on the table and, and us starting to pull that coat. Right. Um, so don't don't leave it too long for them. It's just, it's, it's much better for them to actually experience the salon early. Yeah, to get that sort of behaviour, uh, that experience behind them. Right, no, absolutely. Don't want them scared to come mm. in and see us. You mentioned earlier uh, another lovely breed, which is the, the Irish Terrier. Um, mm. I've got a friend who uh, lives near me who's got one of these lovely sort of ginger-haired dogs. And mm. um, uh, he actually does his own hand stripping at home, I know. He, he, he yes. often tells me that uh, what he does is every two weeks or so, he will sit on the sofa watching TV and he will sort of fairly aimlessly do the hand stripping. Yes. Uh, not for me to say, but you're an expert. Um, obviously, you don't know the technique he's, he's, he's using or whether he's been professionally trained or not. And I don't know and doubt actually that he has any particular training. He's probably just seen something on YouTube and followed that. But um, is he doing anything that you potentially that's wrong or in, with that sort of undercoat that you said is quite weak in no, the case of Irish anything, Terriers? If anything, he's doing exactly the right thing. 
because if we can roll the coat and by that we mean we're constantly working on it mm. you're never taking off the entire top coat so when you take your dog to or when you bring your dogs to us for instance we have to take off the most of that top coat and they go home you know very mm. quite short quite almost down to the undercoat and what your friend is doing is taking out the bits that are sticking up you know, mm. the bits that have really blown, the bits that want to come out on their own and are shouting and saying, please pull me out, but he's leaving the ones that are still nicely knitted together. So his dog will never look as if it's been completely trimmed. It'll always look as if it's just naturally neat and tidy. So it's almost a bit like, in, in the gardening world, topiary. I mean, you're kind of sculpting yes. and keeping totally. keeping the, the, the line of the, the, the coat uh, correct and straight. Absolutely. The bits that stick out. Yeah. Mm. That's why we love teaching people to groom their own dogs. Because you can go away, you can in the evening sit there and, you know, pull those few hairs out which are wanting to come out. And your dog will just look fabulous. And the bond that you get with your dog doing it is just phenomenal. You know, they, they so love it. Um, you know, I can't tell you how much they enjoy being on the table and having it done. Great. So actually a great bonding exercise as well. Never thought of it in those terms, actually. Yeah, well they just, I mean, we have a, we've got a fox terrier that comes in and, you know, we have to do that with a knife rather than our fingers because the coat is so tough. And he is asleep on the table within about 20 minutes. Uh, oh I've got some beautiful, lovely pictures and videos of him absolutely snoring his head off, <laughs> having, his, having his coat pulled out, you know. And we use that as an example of this is how you do it properly. Your dog will, should enjoy this process. So in that case, for people who are now budgeting and thinking about, um, you know, switching to hand stripping, um, what would you say in terms of the regularity? How often should they bring their Scotties to you? Ideally, we, we would certainly want to see them no less than three times a year. Right. Okay. So every four months is yeah, is a good enough every, gap. About every four months is is probably the correct gap, unless you're doing maintaining at home. If you are doing maintaining at home between rooms, um, you can go longer. Um, and we do have customers that, you know, will do some of the work at home and then they come down to us, you know once every say seven eight months just for a complete reshape mm. um you know and to take out the bits that they're struggling with because some are harder than others to yes to shape, and you've got to know a little bit of what you're doing and they just come back come down to us when they need us and of course there's some parts of the body that just don't lend themselves to hand stripping so like the head for example you would be looking yes. to use clipping presumably for that to shave that down yeah i mean you clip the you we clip the head you clip the ears um and down the front on the chest we clip mm. Um, but the hardest bit for the hand stripping is really on the top of the neck. Um, that's that's the bit which puts most people off because you you do have to use you know a better a, a more experienced technique to get that out without hurting the dog. Wow. Okay. A lot of things to consider, but you 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 do offer the, the courses, so if people want to know yes. more, yeah. they should get in touch. Um, and you can actually use the the uh, form online to where you can pose a question. You can also uh, inquire if you would like uh, more information from Jackie about that service. It's down in Somerset, folks. So if you're in that part of the world, um, uh, then it's definitely well worth an investment on your part to, to, to go to the course. Well, one of the things I do want to just let, let you know about is that I'm, I'm thinking, I haven't done it yet, but I am thinking of perhaps doing, you know, like a webinar training 
um, on Scotty brushing and oh. maintaining. And that may be something which, if I do, obviously I'll let you know about because your members might might be interested in Fabulous. joining in on. Absolutely. Well, we'd love to, to take a sample of that and just put a sample of it online so that people can see how you do yeah, it and yeah. what, what and they can again, expect. You know, perhaps mm. you could ask your, you know, ask the listeners, is that something that they would find helpful? You know, what bits of looking after Scotties are they finding difficult? Oh, I don't need to ask them. I, I would yeah. find it very useful. <laughs> I, I, I think we could short circuit this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> You've already got your first customer. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I'll get recording. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great idea. And now that uh, London Scotty Club has actually gone beyond London, we are now national since March. Uh, we welcome members from all over the country. And we've uh, uh, seen quite a few members joining from, from places like Stex, the uh, charity for uh, Scottish Terriers. Uh, you know, I have to say that, you know, uh, We'd be delighted, and I'm sure many of our listeners uh, would also be delighted to tune in to a webinar. So thank you very much for thinking about that. I think that's a great initiative on your part. Okay, Jackie, well, just finally, a, a quick reminder really to everyone that um, if you've got a question for Scotty MOT, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you don't have to even be a London Scotty Club member, although Lord knows why you wouldn't want to join. After all, it is free. Anyone in the UK can become a member, and for overseas listeners, we offer what's called honorary membership. So visit scotty.scot and from there you can send your question using our online form and attach a photo or short video if you think that that would help us looking into your Scotty's problem. Just visit the dedicated page on scotty.scot. That's scotty spelt with a double T-I-E, right? Scotty.scot. Nice and easy to remember. The show will be back in two weeks. Uh, we'll have Kath Marchbank uh, at that particular juncture. In the meantime, Jackie, Ash, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad you're feeling better and it's great to have you back. Thank you. It's a pleasure as always. And to all our listeners, wishing you all very healthy Scotties. Thanks for listening to London Scotty Radio. This and all our podcasts are available online at londonscotty.club. If you liked it, be sure to subscribe to us from your favourite podcast player app. Also visit us on YouTube for fun videos. And if you have a Scottish Terrier in London or nearby, be sure to join us.